Let's take our Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Acts. We're going to read uh, a verse or two in chapter number 7, verse 58, 59, 60. Then we're going to scoot down to chapter number 8, and we'll read three verses there. Then we'll move on over to chapter 9. But we have been emphasizing this matter of one more. I hope it has encouraged your heart as it has mine as I've looked at it in the Word of God to realize that this is not the end as far as what God does in hearts. And it's good that you're saved and that you know the Lord and that we're in the house of God. But there's somebody out there, there's one more out there that the Lord is going to save. But if he's going to reach that one more, I, I just summarize it by saying that you and I are going to have to let God love through us. They're going to have to sense the love of God. If he's going to reach one more, somebody's going to have to keep the light on. Somebody's going to have to keep preaching. Somebody's going to have to keep praying. Somebody's going to have to keep witnessing. Somebody, I mean, that, that prodigal son, if he'd got home, the house is in shambles and and uh, I'll tell you, things that went to pot, I don't know what would have happened, but the Father kept the light on. Just keep the light on. And if the one more is going to make it in, if, if God's going to do any more birthing, it's going to be because that worship has been born. The thing that uh, this world needs to realize is that there is a heaven, and the only way they can know it is when they see us in that realm of heaven when they realize that we're experiencing more than religion, but that we are experiencing heaven on earth. We are worshiping. And then last night we noticed the birth of faith, or a birth of faith uh, as it was with Moses. And if one more is going to be reached, we're going to have to live by faith so that our faith can touch other lives and they too can receive this faith and believe on the Lord. So it's, it's, it's about what God does. He does through his children. He does through his children. As long as the church is in this world, everything that God's going to do is not going to be mystical. It's going to be through you. And it's going to be through me. If somebody in this old world hears the gospel, one of us is going to have to tell them. Somebody in this old world's lost needs to be prayed for. One of us is going to have to do the praying. If missionaries are going to go around the world and preach the gospel, one of us is going to have to give to get them there. You understand what I'm saying? There's one more out there, but he wants to use us to reach that one more. Now, I want to close out tonight, and I want to preach on one more by grace. We're going to notice a birth, another birth, that is a birth of grace. We'll come to these verses that I have mentioned and we'll read those. But I want us to look at Saul of Tarsus who became the Apostle Paul. And of course we realize that there were 12 apostles and then Judas, of course, betrayed the Lord and went out and hanged himself. The earlier part of Acts, they cast lots, as they did in the Old Testament times, to find out who was going to fill that space of the twelfth. And Matthias 
became the 12th apostle. And I'm sure everybody said, close the book on it. That's it. 12 is all there was and 12 is all we'll need. But what we realize through the apostle Paul is God had one more. He had one more. Let me read you the verses. You can read them when you get home if you'd like. 1 Corinthians 15, 8 through 10. And last of all, he was seen of me also, Paul said. Of course, that's on the road to Damascus. We'll read that. As of one born out of due time. He said, I was birthed, but out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. Look at this one more. What if Paul had never come on the scene? But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. I want us to look at this one more by grace. Now, I'm going to read these verses, but I want to ponder. I want to ask you a few questions before we get to it. I want us to think about Saul of Tarsus before he became the Apostle Paul, before he experienced the grace of God. I wonder how many people in the church, and I'm not casting stones nor being sarcastic because I'm going to include myself in the number. I'm wondering how many of us, including me, had we been a part of the early church, would have believed that Saul of Tarsus could be saved. Now I'm going to read the verses to you and it will be magnified. I wonder how many early Christians actually took time to pray for this man called Saul that he would be saved. He's the spearhead enemy of the church. We're going to notice that. I wonder how many of the early church looked at Saul of Tarsus as a hopeless case. Have you ever seen any? A man that would never come to faith in Christ. Have you ever, have you ever looked around you and said, I just, I, I, I cannot, I, I, don't, I don't know if they could ever be saved. I would imagine that most of them saw him as a man to be feared, but not a man to be loved and reached with the gospel. I would imagine that those early believers had long given up on Saul of Tarsus. Now here's what I want you to understand. We're going to see the impact of it in these verses. If this man's story teaches us anything, it teaches us that there's hope for everyone. There is hope in the grace of God because where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. There is hope in the grace of God for any and every sinner. And I don't care how vile, and we're going to notice that none, but he himself testified how vile he was. No matter how wretched and evil, 
Do not underestimate the grace of God reaching those whom you and I pray for. Because if God's grace could save you and God's grace could save me, surely God's grace can save others. God's grace can save one more. And who knows, as it shocked the church in Paul's hour, that Saul would come to Christ and become the spearhead of the gospel of the grace of God, as it shocked the church. (laughs) May we pray that through God's grace we get shocked also. As we hear of those who have come to Christ, in which it would have seemed impossible, but let us, I don't care, maybe they're in prison, maybe they're in jail, maybe they're drugged up, maybe they're somewhere else. I promise you there's one more out there in the worst of conditions that God's grace. There's hope. For your loved ones. There's hope for your friends. There's hope for your co-workers. There's hope for people you've prayed for over and over through the years. There is hope because of the grace of God. Don't you love that? Hey, church, there's hope in 2019 for one reason. God's Saving grace. God's saving grace. Now we're going to read these. We're going to look at Saul and how he becomes Paul. But in our hearts and minds, let us refresh ourselves how that grace saved us and changed us. And let us encourage our hearts to know that as long as the church is in this world, God will be in the business of saving folks By his grace. There will be one more. And who knows the power and the impact of that. One more yet to come. A thunderous person, child of God. Doing the work of the Lord. Now we are familiar with amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a what? See that's that's it. That's it, old John Newton, saving him, slave trader, a wretch, he said. So it is with Paul, but so it was with you, and so it is with everyone. But grace, don't underestimate the grace of God and its saving power. We know about amazing grace. But as I look at my own life and I look at Paul's life and I hear your testimonies about your life, I don't want to preach on amazing grace, though it's in the sermon tonight. I want to preach on a maze of grace. Because when I see how God's grace worked in my life, it's more like a maze. You know what a maze is? Fall time of the year with the pumpkins out in the field and they stack the hay bales to where you enter in and it's a maze of trying to figure out how to get out. 
Well, when you look at the Apostle Paul's life, I mean, especially if you had been back in that time, it would have been a maze of grace to Paul and to everyone else who realized what God was doing in Paul's life. And I preach here enough for you to know how I was raised. I mention almost some aspect of it because it's my testimony every sermon. But I'm here to tell you, as I look back on those 14 years before I came to Christ, that was all a maze of the working of the grace of God that shocked me and shocked others. <laughs> Are you, hey, you got the sermon? Amaze of amazing grace. Three things I'm going to say, but I want to read the text. I want you to pick up on the feeling now of the Saul of Tarsus and of Paul, the apostle. Chapter number 7, we're going to look at where Stephen is stoned. Verse number 58, and cast him out of the city and stoned him. The witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. That's where we first pick up with it. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Chapter 8, verse 1, And Saul was consenting unto his death. Saul was giving his auspices and his okay. Matter of fact, he was desiring to see this man dead. And at their time, that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Verse number 3, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. Kind of take, like taking an axe and chopping on something. Entering into every house and hailing men and women and committed them to prison. Think about this. This man is obsessed with eliminating the church of God and doing away with this message of Christ. Therefore, they were scattered abroad. Now, go to chapter number 9 and verse number 1. Paul is consenting. He is making havoc. Uh, He is devastating, dragging men in. The Bible said in Saul, verse number 1, yet breathing out threatenings, and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord went unto the high priest. Slaughter. Think about that. Desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came to Damascus, 
suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. He fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go unto the city, and it shall be told thee what thou shalt do. Verse number 8, Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him unto Damascus. He was there about three days without sight, neither did he eat nor drink. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in the vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. The Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. Behold, for behold, he prayed, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered. Now notice what he says. Lord... I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to the saints at Jerusalem. Think about that. Here he hath the authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Can I say to you that the way that God is going to do this, take a Saul of Tarsus, an enemy of Christ and the cross and the children of God, and make him the forefront minister of the gospel, is he's going to do it through a maze of grace that we call amazing grace. Just take a moment, ponder in your own heart as to how you got to Christ. And I'll tell you, as you look back over it, you'll realize that it took grace coming after you and bringing you out, and only grace would have known how to get there and how to get back. Three things I want to say to you about this maze of grace. First of all, I notice from what we've read of the Apostle Paul's life when he was Saul of Tarsus is that this maze of grace was working actually before he was even aware of grace. What we realize when we read about the Apostle Paul and his own writings, that he was not a man who studied grace. He was a man who studied the works of the law. Grace was not a part of his terminology. 
his diction, nor was it in his heart. But it doesn't make any difference whether he knew anything about grace at all. That didn't stop grace from working on him. Can't you look back even before you were saved and realize that even in those lost days that it was the grace of God that was protecting you and and leading you to salvation. Working when you were not even aware of it. You say, well, how was God's grace working? Well, I think in two ways. This maze of grace that no one else would have even figured or thought about. I go to Galatians 1 verse 15. Paul says this, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb. He's going all the way back to his birth. And called me by his grace. Can I say to you, it was a maze of grace to realize that God was a working by grace on Paul even while he was being formed in his mother's womb. I mean, he was working on the DNA of the construction biologically of this apostle Paul to use him physically and spiritually. He was creating the physical side so he had one day, in a day in the future, he could uh, create the spiritual side. He is inside the womb. I want to say that's not only true for the apostle Paul, that was true for me. And that was true for you. David spoke of it. He said, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He said to Jeremiah, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. God is not an abortionist, I'll tell you that. Because he's doing handiwork in the womb. It blesses me to know that everything about my design was because that God formulated it. He formulated my voice. He formulated my heart. He formulated my mind. He formulated me because he called me. His calling, yes, I didn't know about his calling after I got saved. But honey, there's only one reason why he brought me into this world. And it was his grace that did so. Through the womb. Think about that. That God was artistically and poetically making you in the womb. And nobody realized it. Now in my family, my mom and dad had 11 children. Two died early on. I was the last of these children. Nine grew to adulthood. And all I know is what was been had was told me because my mother left when I was a year and a half old. And what I was told was is my mom and daddy didn't like one another. Of course, the drinking was involved and all that other stuff. And uh, it's on a record that my dad tried to kill her by pushing her out of a jeep, and then on another occasion pushed her down a flight of steps when she was expecting. My brother, 13 year old older than me, tells the story. He said, 
Dad was passed out on the bed and said, "My wife, my uh, our mother had a knife and she was going to cut his throat." And the only thing that stopped him was my my brother Joe stood between her and Dad. But someone would ask the question, they would say, "Well, why in the world would two people that obviously can't stand one another have eleven children?" You can understand maybe having one and saying, hey, well, you know, this ain't working out. We might as well just part ways because there wasn't no God in there anywhere. No gospel. I never, no, no Bible, no nothing. But then they had two children, three children, four children. I'm sure the people in the community said, man, they need to stop. They don't need to have children acting like that. My dad eventually killed a man in a bar that he built and all of that was in on top of it. But they had six, they had seven I had eight, and I know the neighbors were saying, oh, I hope they don't have no more because he's turning every one of them loose on the hillside there, you know. For heaven's sake, surely they ain't going to have no more, but they went ahead and had number 11. Somebody said, why? You're looking at him. <laughs> God said, no, we're going for another one. we got to have another one. we got to have one more because I'm going to work in that one more by grace. What are the chances that I'd even get into this world? I about you, but that thrills me. What I'm saying to you, this is amazing because it is a maze. Only grace could get in there and work in those places and do those things. So it's a maze of grace working in the womb. And I, I'm not going to elaborate on this, uh, but I'm thinking about what Paul said concerning his training and his raising. He's a Jew. And uh, he said he was born in Tarsus, brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel. Of course, Gamaliel was still around in the book of Acts, one of the greatest teachers. Taught according to the perfect manner of the law. Think about that. Of the fathers. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. Now, if you know anything about the customs of the Jews, especially the Orthodox Jews and the Jews in Bible times, they were very strict in teaching their children. I mean, at an early age, they would instruct them concerning the Torah, the 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 Pentateuch. They would uh, they would put those uh, teachings in their heart, and they would cause them to many times memorize great volumes of Scripture. But you and I know that all they had in mind was keeping them steeped in Jewish religion, and that was what was alive when Jesus showed on the scene, and it was the Pharisees, and it's the Pharisees that had him crucified using the Jews. But little did they know, because you see, this Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, is the sword of what? Sword of the Spirit. It's God's Word. So what was happening, see, is they were laying firewood in his heart. They were laying kindling in his soul. That's all it was for 
many years. Old Testament teachings as far as religion, and it made him mean. See, religion always makes you mean. I don't care what kind it is. And they just hear, hear Paul, now here's Saul, Saul of Tarsus. Now you gotta, you gotta remember this. Remember the Ten Commandments. Now I want you to remember the Ten. Now, now I want you to remember, we're gonna take you into the tabernacle and teach you about the tabernacle and they taught all about the tabernacle. And now, now we're gonna teach you about Elijah and Moses, some of the great prophets. And man, they just filled him up with the Old Testament. But you know what that was? That was a maze of God's grace. They didn't realize what they was doing. They was getting him ready for an explosion. Because what happened on that road to Damascus is the Lord Jesus showed up and breathed on him, I'll tell you, with the Spirit. And all of a sudden, he who hated God's people and could see no, no sense in a, in a, in a Christ that they believed in, all of a sudden, boom, he became a believer. And overnight, he became one of the greatest preachers that the world has ever known. And it was them Jews that put it all in him. But they didn't know that all that was going to happen, have to happen was a match thrown on that. And when a match was thrown on that, all of that was in there. And man, it was just like gas. And he became, he said, I labored more abundantly than they all. But you're not I, but he said it was the grace of God. In other words, it was a maze. I'm telling you, through the womb and through the word of God, it was a maze of God's grace that no one else would have ever expected that God was secretly setting Saul up to be Paul. The disciples didn't, wouldn't have, they wouldn't have believed that if you'd have told them. The saints feared him. They're not thinking this old boy is going to get saved. He's going, hey, somebody said Saul of Tarsus. Oh, don't worry about Saul. He'll get, that old boy, I, I just believe he's going to get right with God. No, nobody believed that. Why? Because grace is working where nobody else can see. Can I say to you, there are some people out there right now that are in treacherous ways. I'm talking about in mind and spirit and soul. And there's evil and wickedness and sin in their heart that you've got no idea that right where they're at, the grace of God is working over time. And you're going to be amazed at the maze of which God went in there and brought them out. Woo! That excites me. That excites me. It's a maze of grace. Let us not look at this world and say, well, we're in the end times. No, grace is still here. Grace was working before he knew that there was grace. Second thing I want to say to you is this maze of grace that goes in and gets him and brings him out was not only working before he knew anything about grace, but grace was working to let him know about grace. Isn't it amazing that Paul, who's all, who's Saul, and that is all about works, 
that the only thing he wants to talk about after he gets saved is grace. Did you know in the New Testament that the word grace is used 131 times and Paul uses it 91 of those times? <laughs> I mean, once he found out it was grace, that's all he wanted to talk about is grace. But aren't you glad because the great truths that we know about grace come from Paul who was saved by grace. For by grace are ye saved. That not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Working to make him aware of grace. In other words, God introduces himself to Paul through grace. (laughs) Huh? I mean, the Lord uses in a maze of ways grace to introduce himself. It's almost like he went up and said, Hey, I'm grace. (laughs) Huh? You know, as I say, I was raised in West Virginia, and my dad went into DTs, took a meat fork, jabbed it in his throat, ended up in a mental institution. I was the only one there. So my brother, the one that's 13 years older than I, that got saved when I did, he came, he was a drunk at that time too, and he came to West Virginia to get me to put me back in school. I'd already quit school. And he moved in an apartment over top of some very strange people. They called themselves Christians. And uh, they began to work on my sister-in-law. She tells this story. She said, one day I heard a knock on the door. And she said, I went to open the door and said, here's the woman that lived downstairs standing and said her face was red and, and tears just said she was sobbing. And, and Sandy said, she thought, well, wonder what's wrong with this woman. She said, well, well, what's wrong with you? Something wrong? She said, yeah. Said, I've been praying for you and your husband's lost. Said, I'm afraid y'all gonna go to hell. I want you to go to church with me. After a couple of weeks, Sandra went to church with her. Of course, she got gloriously saved. She brought that gospel, that grace back to the house and began to work on my brother and putting tracks in his lunchbox and everything made him miserable. And thank God he got saved and they got to working on me and a month later, I got saved. But guess what the lady's name, she's still living there in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, Guess what the lady's name was that knocked on the door? Grace! (laughs) Hello, I'm Grace! It'll come in a maze of ways, but it'll be amazing! The Lord uses two things, two things to introduce Saul to grace so he would become Paul. One, he uses the very people he's persecuting. He uses Christians. Isn't that amazing? It was Christians who prayed for him. Matter of fact, the first prayer of a Christian he ever heard was the man he was consenting to his death. 
And the last thing he said before he left this world, Paul was one of them, said, Lord, would you lay this not to their charge? Would you forgive them? Sounded like Jesus on the cross. You know that had to shake Paul. And then the, then just, I mean, while he's on the road there, he's been blinded and everything. They put him in that house. Who is it that shows up? Ananias, one of God's children, to guide and instruct him and show him the way. Where would you and I be if it hadn't been for those who knew the grace of God to come and point us in the right direction? Grace! Handing out grace. If anybody finds out anything about grace, it's going to be through those who have grace and know grace. But he not only uses God's children, he uses conviction. Now this lets me know the mindset of the Apostle Paul. Now on the outside, I don't know how he appeared, no doubt as this stringent, militant figure who's standing for the Jehovah of the Old Testament is going to remedy this false doctrine that is trying to take over. As I say, the very spearhead of of. The, the Pharisees, the very spearhead and enemy of the church of the living God, he's out in front. Even above all the rest, he's running out in front and locking them up and persecuting them and slaughtering them. And Ananias said, he's evil! He's evil! Sounds to me like he's like on the level of a Hitler or somebody like that. I mean, he has no compassion. Women and, and, and this has to affect the children. Can you imagine the, the cries of the children as they, as they follow after the parents and they're just drug out and slung into prison and some of them slaughtered and killed and they're going into every house. And they fear, the Bible said, they fear this man that is so wicked that has one thought in mind, I'm going to destroy. This new religion. But how does he really feel? Feels about like that guy, you know, that the Holy Ghost has got a hold of and he don't want nobody to know it. And he's under conviction. You remember those days? Because Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, it's hard for you to kick, boom, against the pricks. Now you know what the prick is. It's a sharp object. It's the goad that the farmer would use that he had sharpened the end of it and fixed it so that if that oxen was stubborn and rebellious and started kicking, he wouldn't do nothing but hurt himself. Ooh, that hurt. Oh, that's bad. What's happening to the Apostle Paul? They threw the last stone. Stephen's fixing to leave this old world. And he's praying. Well, he's just preached to him the greatest sermon. One of the greatest sermons ever preached. You say, well, what do you think that did to Saul? Well, I want to challenge you to go and get look up all of Saul's teachings. And you'll find the very root of it all come out of that sermon that was preached to him by Stephen. It's all in there in a nutshell. 
He never got over that. He laid down at night and he heard that sermon. Oh, Abraham, Moses. Oh, he could hear that in his mind. And then when he would go and he would drag out the believers and, and I'll tell you, while he's a dragging them, they would not deny the name of the Lord Jesus and they would not turn their backs and, and they would pray. They would do what he did later on while in prison. They, how do you think he learned how to sing and give praise to God at midnight? I tell you how, he'd seen the saints do it. I tell you what was happening. He was trying to make them miserable, but he was the most miserable one of the bunch because he said, you're kicking against the pricks. Got a preacher friend in Florence, Alabama. His wife got gloriously saved. She come home one day and she said to him, said, Ernie, I've been invited to preach over tonight. He said, you better not. I don't know, preacher. I ain't got nothing to do with religion. Nothing. She said, well, it's two ladies coming. He said, I made up my mind what I was going to do. He said, I had a little sitting room that I called my own little room. It was very small. A couple pieces of furniture in it. So when they came through the door, said, I didn't even say hello, hi, or nothing. Said, I just walked in there and said, come on in. Said, I sat down on one side, and they sat down on the other side and said, you could just reach out and stretch just about. The room was so small and touch hands. He said, I reached in my pocket and I lit up a cigarette. And the whole time they was talking. And he said, when I got that one down real low, I went and I lit up another. He said they, the preacher was coughing and trying to talk. And he was waving and hacking. He said about after about 45 minutes, he said, well, I guess we better go. <laughs> said they got up and left. And he said, I went in there surprised. Said I told my wife, I smoked him out. I smoked him out. But he said what that preacher had said to me, Got in my heart. Said I laid down at night and said, man, I could hear those for God so loved the world. That he, and he said, I'd get in my car and I'd try to drive to work and said, I'd hear another verse. And then he said, I'd try to work and said, even with all the machinery, I could still hear another word. And then he said, he, he said, man, and when I tried to drink, I was miserable. Said, I was a mess, miserable. Said, finally one day I went into my wife and said, I want you to call that preacher. Tell him I'll meet him over there. He can meet me here. We'll meet somewhere in the middle. I said, what happened, Ernie? He said, the Holy Ghost smoked me out. (laughs) Oh, grace comes with the determination to get your attention and bring you out. Aren't you glad grace came in to where you were at with the intention of bringing you out? It was amazing of grace that was amazing and when it was all over with you knew what grace was because he never got tired of it he said matter of fact I was born of grace isn't that amazing amazing here's what I'm trying to tell you there's another one out there that God's grace is going to work in that maze to save them. Now my last thought is this. This matter of a a maze of grace goes after Saul of Tarsus before he's aware of grace. 
and then makes him aware of grace. But let me read you these couple of verses, and I'll give you that last thought. Ephesians 3, verse 2. If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me, you would. Did you hear what he said? Ephesians 3, 8, Unto me who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ? Wow. What I'm closing out with is that this amaze of grace, so amazing, is working on Paul so he can work through Paul to make others aware of grace. And the reason why God saved you by grace is not just so you could be saved by grace. It's because there's one more beyond you that he wants to use you to reach that they too might be saved by the grace of God. Paul's conversion by grace was the turning point. Grace was the turning point in his life. But grace was also the turning point in the gospel. Taking it from the Jew to the Gentile. And children, we better be praising God that Paul was saved by grace because if he hadn't been saved by grace, I don't know how you and I would have ever heard about this grace. He used him to take that grace of truth to the Gentiles. It was actually the turning point of the world. It was one event that brought the Jew and the Gentile together. The grace of God. Now, I don't know how you number events that have happened in this old world, but I'm going to tell you something. I understand that Christ and the cross, death, burial, and resurrection is the number one. There can't be no comparison there. But if we were to say, well, you know, I think this is probably the most important thing, if you could, I would have to say that the salvation of the apostle Paul by the grace of God would have to be one of the top five events that has affected the whole world. That if you were to take that out, where would we be? Aren't you glad for the one more that was saved by grace and the power of that one more saved by grace? That's why, children, it ain't over. It ain't over. There's one more out there that's going to get saved by grace and we're all going to be amazed at what God's going to do through one more. One more. One more, the far-reaching aspect of just one person coming to Christ. Thirteen and some say fourteen books of the New Testament simply because one more was saved by Christ.